ask me, so what language do you think in? Well, it depends what I'm thinking about. Being bicultural or multicultural as wearing different pairs of glasses, or this metaphor as like being as、uh, like riding an electric bicycle, where you get your energy from more than one source. We're never going to be John Smith. Dobromir Jaszczomski is never going to be John Smith. How has that been like?、Um, you know, working in IT now, this transitioning,、um, and this role of a project manager. Usually, people don't choose project management. Project management chooses you. Welcome to People Tech and Other Weirdness, the not so serious soft serve podcast. Here we collect stories from our people about their roles and rules, game-changing decisions, wins, walls, and falls. You'll hear about technologies from those who create them. Let's see who we have on today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode in our People Tech and Other Weirdness podcast.、Uh, my name is Kuba Kampinski. I'm a communication expert. Working for SoftServe, who helps teams and projects communicate better with clients and one another. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest,、uh, Dobromir Jaszczomski, Dobs for short, who is a project manager in SoftServe. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kuba.、Uh, thank you for having me.、Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. Dobs,、uh, for people who don't know you, just to set a little bit of、um, context, you were actually born in Poland, but you were raised in Canada and you lived there for thirty. 30- Thirty-five, thirty-five years or something. So I was born in Wrocław.、Uh, we left in '86 after Chernobyl exploded,、uh, and then spent a year and a half in political refugee camp in Italy, and then moved to Montreal specifically.、Right. So、uh, Montreal, which is in Quebec, which is the French province of Canada, and Montreal itself being probably the most bilingual city in Canada. Right. When I was preparing for this episode, I, I had a chance to read a part of a book.、Uh, the title of the book is Third Culture Kids. It has a subtitle, "Growing Up Among Worlds," and I'd like to read a little, you know, extract from that book just to set the、um, the scene. So this was、um, written by Hannah, a 14-year-old、uh, German Swiss girl, and this is what she said when they asked her about cultures and languages. She said, "I'm I'm 14 years old, and I speak around four or five languages." When I was younger, my father spoke German to me at home. My mother used Swiss German. Most of my international friends communicate in English, and my local friends talk to me in Albanian. Now I study French at school,、uh, so I have added one more language to my life. At our dinner table in the evening, our family speaks a mixture of all of these languages. I'm just curious. Does that sound familiar?、Uh, absolutely, it does. Well, slightly different. So、uh, in my context,、uh, home was in Polish, Polish culture, Polish culture frozen in the mid '80s. School was in French, and a lot of what was going on outside of school was in English. So yeah, there was there was this mixture,、uh, and and at some point you master all the languages, and then some of your friends have numerous languages as well, and you start mixing. Uh, the different the different languages together, the different cultures together. So be- beyond that, I went to、uh, I attended、um, end of elementary and high school, the International School of Montreal, which was about eighty percent immigrants.、Mm-hmm. So I grew up、uh, with people from the Eastern Bloc. I grew up with people from South America, from a lot of people from、um, North Africa. Uh, because of the French language, a lot of Lebanese people and Syrian、mm-hmm. people from the because of the French language,、uh, a lot of Asians. So we we interacted and exchanged our own experiences as as immigrants and and、um, some of the the difficulties and the challenges that each culture experienced with with integration with languages,、um, and and funny enough.、Uh, Everybody from the Eastern Bloc had some sort of the same issues with their parents. <laughs> okay,、uh, which was funny. And the best part about this is that we we traveled without leaving school because, you know, your mom makes lunch for you, or, and and then you bring it to school, and then suddenly somebody looks at it. He's like, "Oh my God, this smells so good! Can I have some?" And then you switch, you exchange, and you're experiencing cuisine and food is a great way to travel,、uh, and you get to know different cultures through the food. Just just you know. At the calf and exchanging food with people, and that was awesome. So it it does sound very familiar. 
although it's it's beyond just the uh, the family unit. It reminds me of another book that I have read. I'm not going to quote from it, but the title was uh, it was a kind of a, a play in words uh, around the world in 80 days. But it was not the the, the classical Jules Verne book. It was just a Polish guy who uh, spent 80 days in London, and every day he dined and wined with people from different cultures. And at the end of that, you know, period, he said, "I actually traveled around the world without having to leave London." That's physically. amazing. That's amazing. Montreal sounds very similar. Um, yeah, restaurants from all over the world. I ate at an Ethiopian restaurant in Montreal. That was great. Just you know, the thought Ethiopian restaurant. Wait, I wouldn't think about it. But it's there, and you try it, yeah. Do you uh, get uh, asked this question a lot in terms of, uh, so who are you? Where are you from? What's Very often. Your, what's your first language? And, and are these kind of easy questions to, uh, to answer? Very often. Uh, what's the first language is easy? It's Polish. The, the harder question is which one is the mother tongue? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, Polish at home, but I started school in French. And at some point in my life, English took over. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I lived in Spain and spoke almost uniquely Spanish, which, which also became part of my, my identity. And, and although the Spanish is, is, is a weaker force in my identity, the, the Polish, French, and English is, is ever fluctuating. And people ask me, so what language do you think in? Uh, well, it depends what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. If it's about food, uh, usually Polish, because I learned to cook at home with my mom right. in, in Polish, right? When it comes to, to construction as well, because you, with my dad, we, we did mm-hmm. things in, in Polish. When it comes to economics or politics, it's more English. Uh, when it comes to literature and art, it's more French. Yeah, so this, this, this is how it works. Right. In um, there's this interesting um, actually quote from that book, you know, um, growing up among cultures, which basically said that this this concept is kind of becoming more of a norm rather than an exception these days. In, in I'm just curious, you know, in your role as a project manager, how does this um, richness of cultural experience, you know, of different languages, um, how does that help you in your in your day to day work? Oh wow. Okay. Um... Is it becoming a norm? I think that this this uh, I'll answer that first. I think it's a it's a it's a polarization that occurs because mm-hmm. some some geographical areas like you know Montreal, you have London, you have Paris, you have these these big cities that do have a lot of influx of of different cultures. Yes, it's becoming more and more so. Uh, whereas uh, other regions, any country has smaller towns where there is absolutely none, mm-hmm. right? So, so you have this polarization where from one end, it's becoming more and more and more. And the other one is just staying as it was, uh, which is fun, which is cool. Uh, and, and, and it does bring a lot of uh, flexibility in one's mind, usually when you embrace this. So growing up in Montreal, where even in my high school, we were, I went to the International School of Montreal. Uh, by definition, a very international, we were 80% immigrants. Right. Right. So I, I grew up with people from all over the world, tasted food from all over the world at lunch, uh, despite being in a city that had food from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So you travel through your, your meals and that was really cool. And it's a way of discovering people and just just physically adapting to different tastes is a precursor, I think, to um, adapting mentally and culturally to other people. Mm-hmm. And this is where it helps with uh, project management, uh, where. Every project is unique. You face new technologies, uh, new challenges, new clients. You're working with different teams. And in your role as a leader, flexibility is key. Being culturally flexible, uh, technologically flexible in terms of the knowledge you, you need to, to acquire. And you need to learn it, right? Because we don't know all mm-hmm. the technologies <laughs> from the top. And, and just having this elasticity to, to adjust uh, is very helpful. And it, it's also very helpful in times of conflict and crisis or uncertainty where, uh, you know, somebody will say something which at first hand may sound off offensive or, or, or negative, but then you have, you stop yourself like, wait, wait a second. Maybe in, in his uh, mm-hmm. paradigm of, of culture and identity, it means something else. Or there is something more behind his or her words. Absolutely. And then you have to remember that uh, English being the second language or third of many people 
maybe what they wanted to say was a direct translation and it it's not exactly the thought they wanted so you it's having that ability to step back and be flexible enough to to kind of appreciate that there might be something else there as you said mm -hmm. so this helps a lot and in, in in creating the bond that the team needs and understanding when people are facing difficulties uh empathy being very important i find in in leadership to be able to to put yourself in another person's situation and understand the challenges they're facing in order to support them in 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 um, not only in executing their job uh properly but in growing mm -hmm. very interesting very interesting um you know i'm a big fan of uh, either metaphors or or analogies comparisons and i heard people referring to being bicultural or multicultural as wearing different pairs of glasses or this metaphor it's like being uh, it's like riding an electric bicycle where you get your energy from more than one source how would you what would you compare it to being you know bicultural multicultural oh wow um i don't i don't have an analogy that comes to mind uh it it definitely enlarges your understanding of of concepts right because every language has their culture behind it their history behind it mm -hmm. so just the concept of just the word love for instance which you you say in english oh i love this i love that uh i love you uh and and it's for instance it's much easier to say i love you to a friend in english than it is to say in polish mm -hmm. right if you say it in polish the word love has the weight is just different absolutely uh, and in French, it it also has a different connotation and a different melody, uh, and the Spanish one uh, as well. So it enlarges your understanding of of those concepts. I find, or your ability to see it differently. I I don't. I know. I'm not answering your question. I don't have an analogy <laughs> to uh, how many hats you wear. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Perhaps yeah. something comes to mind for you well i was i'm, I'm kind of uh I, I i like this concept of of you know wearing different pairs of glasses so in other words when i read or when i drive my car i have my corrective glasses but when i go outside on a sunny day they either get tinted or i or i exchange them so i have a feeling that this being not just bilingual but also bicultural because these don't have to be the same necessarily agreed it helps you to kind of look at the world through i'm not going to say a completely different but a slightly different perspective so i like this uh analogy of it's a good one different you know pairs of glasses i'm going to agree with you it's a very good one yeah let's talk about canada for a little bit mm -hmm. it's a country where you spent 35 35 yeah 35 years, years. Yeah. you know Speaking of analogies or metaphors, I like also that one which says that culture is like a, a mental software or software of the mind. And it can be, you know, out of date. We might need to update it and so on and so forth. And uh, when I think of Canada, you know, being Polish, never, never having traveled uh, or never having lived there, I think of, you know, uh, the Justin Bieber's of the world, the Jordan Peterson's. As a, as a fan of ice hockey, I think of Sidney Crosby, those kind of people. Geography, the fact that it's called... But I do have a feeling that, you know, we, we might have this um, mental software of Canada here in Poland and here in Europe a bit out of date. Would you would you would you agree with that? What's what's Canada like um, at the moment? 100% agreed with you, but not for how much Canada changed, but how much the distance between Canada and Poland changed. So mm -hmm. when we left Poland in 86, right? So the situation in Poland politically, economically, uh, just um, in terms of consumer goods that were available was very different than what Poland is today, right? Mm -hmm. So the the idea that I um, that I that I encounter that people have most of the time is that oh my God, Canada is so amazing. Mm -hmm. Under which they are they're not saying maybe they're not realizing themselves that what they assume is there it's so much better than Poland is, which is not the case anymore. Uh, Poland caught up, caught up very fast, uh, quality of life, market, uh, availability of, of, of jobs, of consumer goods, uh, life perspectives have, uh, opportunities have grown so much in Poland over the past 30 years that it, it's not that much different on the index of quality of life. Canada scores high. I think it's a bit of a legacy, uh, position because things have changed, uh, I think for the worst in Canada. Uh, but again, it's not a tragedy. So in that sense, I agree with you that the mental software uh, for the Polish culture about how they think about Canada needs to be updated in terms of like, it's 
not that much of a mm-hmm. difference anymore. Poland has caught up, and in, I feel very comfortable living here. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, it's been uh, what three three years, four years now. Three years since three I came years. back. I came back three years ago, and uh, I prefer being here right now. I would not consider going back at all. I have to call you know ask you this question. I I used to live abroad you know for for a long time, and when I came back, I would get asked this question a lot. You know, also oh, you, where did you spend the last X number of years? Oh, in the UK. Longer pause. Why did you come back? I need to ask you this question. Maybe you get asked you know a lot. Uh, why why what what made you come back? All the time, and I've also had the unpleasant experience of being told that uh, it was a stupid decision. In, mm-hmm. in in much worse words, uh, I remember the company a company that I worked for here in Poland, where a, the boss of the company at the company call uh, party called me names for having come back, and that this wow. was uh, yeah yeah a very unpleasant experience, which I I've had a lot of people. Uh, more than I wish, uh, say to me. And the reasons, I, I didn't have any reasons to leave. I always wanted to experience Poland as it is today, to mm-hmm. come stay here for a longer period of time and understand Poland because I was brought up in in uh, communist Poland at home. Mm-hmm. My parents, you know, okay. they, they, they lived in this, in this time box. They left in that year and their concept of Poland of how the country operates and how the people are stayed stuck, right? So it's a time capsule. Mm-hmm. And this happens to a lot of immigrants. They have their idea is stuck in time. Whereas the country and the culture moves forward. It well, changes. It's also the, the the geographical distance between Canada and, and Poland. It's not so easy to travel. Absolutely. Right it's forth. expensive. Well, that's right. Especially to a new immigrant and uh you know money doesn't grow on trees over there as 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 some people might think. Uh so yeah, the contact is 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 more distant, and I grew up in uh, in Perel, Poland, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to experience Poland not just by coming on uh, on holiday here, but just the gritty life of everyday people of how it is to wake up here, go to work, take the tram, go do groceries, and really get to know what Poland has become. I always wanted to do that, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was essentially a. Life uh, drew an opportunity for me to to come here and do this, and I did. Uh, I wasn't planning on staying. I I didn't know. I didn't mm-hmm. really care at that point what would happen. Uh, would happen. I just I just went for it, and life happened. That's it, right? <laughs> and I I was happy, and then I uh, had a decent job. I met somebody uh, great who is now uh, my life partner. Uh, and I got a better job here at SoftServe. I'm very happy and I'm about to have a kid next week. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. So I stayed and I'm happy. Right. Um, mental software, people here in Poland, the, the version of Canada that mm-hmm. a lot of us mm-hmm. have in our heads. Let's, you know, like flip the, you know, the coin. Um, Canadians, again, I'm going to generalize and refer to them as Canadians. Mm-hmm. What is their mental software? Um, in terms of Poland, how how do they see this part of the world? Oh, frustrating! They they know very little of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the extent that I have so many friends who are like, oh, we're gonna go travel to Eastern Europe, so we'll, we'll make it to Berlin, then Czech Republic, Slovakia, and uh, Ukraine and Belarusia, and we have a week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or two, right? And they're like, and I'm like, well, what about you know, what about Poland? Oh, well, what's there to see there, right? Oh, we'll we'll drop by, we'll drop by, uh, you know, uh. Uh, Auschwitz or or, or mm-hmm. Krakow maybe, and it's like that's that's all they know. Uh, they don't know much about it. More they know about the Solidarity Movement and Lech Wałęsa and John Paul II, and that's and vodka. Uh, so these are these kind of unfortunate uh, general conceptions of Eastern Europe in general and Poland. Uh, but people who have encountered and met Poles more uh, have had them in their surroundings. Usually have a much more positive. Mm-hmm. opinion and understanding but in general it's very similar to to americans uh, where they just they just have no idea they have these these hollywood built uh images of eastern europe of what it actually was back in the days you know mm-hmm. great depressing <laughs> <laughs> very drab unsmiling people mm-hmm. which by the way is something every time i came back to poland i saw more people smiling 
uh, on the street, in the shops, uh, in general. It, there's been every time uh, you, you uh, see that increase, progress. I see which it. is interesting because I had a conversation with a colleague who actually works here. Uh, he grew up in Spain. He's Polish, but he grew up in Spain. And he said, you know, every every summer I would travel to Spain to visit my dad for for a couple of months. And coming back um, home here to Poland, I always knew this moment where I'm officially back. And I said, how did you know? Uh, I would stop smiling. <laughs> so it's, it's good news, right? That this is kind of um, changing. Canada is an interesting um, place for many different reasons. Um, it's also an interesting place because many people uh, will, will put it into exactly the same box as the US. Ooh. Which what which is what happens here a lot with with you know us you know people here in Central Europe oh you're Czech you're Slovak you're Ukrainian you're Croatian you're Polish you're kind of the same, and it makes me think of another analogy where somebody said like um, Canada is basically like the U.S. but with you know free national health um, service and less gun violence, and then I also remember this quote from I think it was Pierre Trudeau who said that you know living next door to America is like sharing your bed with an elephant. Yeah, you can you you can sleep in the bed, but you have to be vigilant. What's it like? What are what's what are the differences? You know, um... first of all, I, I would like to to correct the free free healthcare. It's mm -hmm. universal healthcare. It's not free. We're all paying for it mm -hmm. uh, by taxes, like in like everywhere. Um, less gun violence. Yes, uh, unfortunately, there's more and more of that. Uh, the, the big American elephant. Um, yes, you have to remain vigilant, especially in terms of culture. And we see it seeping into Canadian culture, as many people have seen, uh, probably noticed if you pay attention to, to America, the culture has been very polarized. So it's becoming more and more left versus right and less and less discussion and conversation, more and more entrenched uh, political and uh, moral opinions and, and very uh, kind of like, if you're not with me, then you're against me. Mm -hmm. uh, so the centrists are kind of being pushed into one or the other camp. And it's becoming like this in Canada. It's not as bad yet, but yes, this, this element of the American culture is seeping in. Um, so yes, being a neighbor with the US is, <laughs> is interesting. Uh, on the political spectrum, we are we are their biggest trading partner. Uh, actually, the the spread of the population is in Canada. Something like ninety percent of the population people live within three hundred or hundred miles. One hundred and fifty, something like this, from the U.S. border, right? And this is very intentional. Well, it's geographic because the further north you go, the harder the climate mm -hmm. is. But it's also a question of of securing the border. Uh, kind of like by just you know people presence, uh, so so yeah, that's that's definitely that aspect. Um, I'm not gonna get into the the the, the more um, in depth analysis of the impact of the U.S. because I I don't know that topic so well. Uh, but is there anything you would like me to expand on? I'm just you know curious because there might be um, folks listening to us to this podcast who um, perhaps start their journey they have a client who's based in canada a lot of people here they kind of switch from uh, working for somebody based in the states to having clients in other parts of the world or in europe what might be some i don't know maybe you have some tips or some guidelines some things to kind of keep up you know in mind when you start working obviously the industries might be different the regions might, what what's there in terms of uh, research that might make sense you know um to do before such an engagement or just some some practical tips Right. Very good question. Um, so I'll just think out loud and mm -hmm. come sure, up with things. Sure, sure. Uh, I'll start with one of the main differences between between the American and the Canadian culture. And it's about uh, the dis different cultures that are there. So right in the US, when you arrive, it's kind of expected. And the culture is that you're no longer Polish or Mexican or or Russian or Spanish or wherever you're from. You are now American or hyphenated American at most. At most, but you are American. Mm -hmm. You're expected to have that flag, though the, you know, you can sing the thing and you know the culture and this this is becoming your culture. And the objective is that you become a full blown American. Whereas Canada is not like that. Canada is more, so going back, the US is more of that melting pot, right? That mm -hmm. concept we know, everybody becomes one. Canada is more like the mosaic. And you're a different piece that 
kind of is supposed to fit into the mosaic of the Canadian culture, uh, which is really good. Uh, I really enjoy that because we're never going to be John Smith. Dobromir Jastrzemski is never going to be John Smith, mm -hmm. right? So if if I dis if I lose what I, where I come from, I'm not I'm nothing anymore. And there's a lot of people from immigrants who uh, you know did not learn their language or their culture who in adulthood will try to learn it again. They'll try to go back to that. Mm -hmm. And this is something in Canada, especially because of the Quebec factor, the French culture factor. Mm -hmm. This is very strong in Quebec where immigrants retain their uh, original culture uh, and embrace the other. So this is the difference between integration and um, Assimilation? Yes, that's the word that I'm looking for. I was Thank also you. looking for <laughs> So it's the difference between integration and assimilation. And Canada is more integrating than assimilating. Mm -hmm. uh, keeping that in mind, how you interact with Americans and Canadians. Uh, well, where, where are you from? Is a question that is very delicate. Uh, because obviously you speak with someone, you see a name that is definitely not John Smith. Uh, and you're like, oh, you're curious, where, where is this person from? And this may be a very offensive question to ask, right. depending who you speak to. And you, uh, oh, where are you from? Well, California. Okay, yeah, sure, but where, where, what's your background? Well, American. Uh, and, and, then, and then you realize that you made a faux pas. A bit, yeah, and how do you get out of it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then uh, people handle this very differently, but just the best way to do this is to avoid this conversation, right? The, the, the work around is, oh, do you speak any other languages, mm -hmm. for instance? And then the person's like, oh, yeah, Swedish or yeah, Swahili or, or whatever. How, how did you learn that? Right, there you go. And this, this is a kind of like politically correct workaround to get to know somebody more without directly uh, ad admitting that they're not American. Mm -hmm. Right. By saying, where are you from? Implying that you're from somewhere else than the U.S. Same applies to Canada. Uh, nowadays, uh, I, I when I was younger, it was very common. Like, oh, where are you from? And it was just a normal conversation until uh, until like the 2000s. I remember I asked this question just at bars or like gatherings or and, and people started people younger than me started getting offended and started being like, why would you ask that? And and it now it's it's also a delicate question in Canada mm -hmm. to ask somebody. So where are you from? Well, Montreal. So it's becoming like this. And there's this workaround of you know, so which language do you speak or, mm -hmm. or things like that, or which which holidays do you uh, do you celebrate? Okay, that might be another. Yeah, and it's around. a big thing because there's uh, in Montreal you have a huge uh, Jewish community, a huge uh, Muslim community, very big Indian community, Toronto, huge Indian community, uh, Vancouver, huge Asian community, mm -hmm. especially Chinese. So uh, knowing these holidays is a good way to navigate even how you schedule your meetings because it might not be an official Canadian holiday, but it will have an impact on that person's presence, attention, or, or just, you know, oh, hey, I, you know, do you celebrate this in this holiday? And they're like, oh, yes, thank you for, for, for remembering. Did that answer your question? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And in terms of, so you said a little bit about Montreal and the, the, the specific, you know, culture of mm -hmm. that particular, mm -hmm. it's, it's a province, right? By, so by definition or? Quebec is the province. Okay, Quebec is the province. Right. Um, will, will, will there be any other guidelines, cultural guidelines in terms of, yeah, where, where, where somebody comes from in Canada or the type of industry with that kind of, um, uh... definitely, uh, of course, every industry has their own mm, kind of organizational culture, uh, industrial culture, if I can say it that way. Um, every province has slight differences, but we, West coast, for instance, BC is one thing. In general, that's how we categorize it, right? So BC is one culture. It's more the West Coast culture that you understand as California, more laid back, more nature. The prairies, which you For have... those, by the way, who don't know, BC would stand for British Columbia. Yes, right? yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, then you have the prairies, which is Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and, and, and Alberta. Uh, so this is mostly farmland and, and uh, tar sand <laughs> oil refineries extraction. Uh, so that we call them the Americans of Canada. Uh, they are much closer to the um, mm -hmm. Midwest American culture. Then you have Ontario, which is the kind of like big English speaking 
uh, hub of Canada. Quebec is French Canadian, French culture. We can get into that a little bit more because that's very specific. And then you have the East Coast, the Maritimes, which are um, what used to be the, the economic hub when fishing and transport was big until industry came in during the Industrial Revolution and where Ontario and Quebec took the lead economically. Uh, specifically to Quebec. If you ever travel to Quebec or speak to uh, French Canadians, it is very important to start the conversation in French. All right. Say something in French. Show that you try and then go, oh, I'm sorry, I don't speak French. Do you mind if we mm -hmm. switch into English? Right. And this is this is not... Showing uh, maybe appreciation or good intentions? Or... Yes, yeah, okay. respect. respect. An acknowledgement of the French mm -hmm. fact. Uh, because the English oppressed the French okay. for a very long time. So uh, there is a whole backstory. Oh, yes. Huge backstory. And it's a very, very touchy nerve. Uh, if you travel to Quebec, people will take you into their house. They will host you. They will, uh, they're, they're amazing. But you have to start the conversation in French and at least acknowledge that language, their culture. Uh, otherwise, you, people... People will just not serve you in restaurants. They'll tell you to leave. They'll uh, no, we speak we speak French for go go away. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me being in Paris and uh, dining in <laughs> Chinese restaurants <laughs> for very practical reasons. Thank you for that. Great. So we've kind of talked a little bit about culture um but i'm also you know interested in something else which is project management which mm -hmm. is that's your role in mm -hmm. uh, in the company and as far as i understand you have uh, transitioned to the world of it from from another mm -hmm. industry yes how's that been like um you know working in it now this transitioning um and this role of a project manager maybe you could tell me a bit more challenging nonetheless so I started project management uh, in the event industry. Mm -hmm. uh, then, uh, well, as one of my teachers in, in university, in I studied project management at uh, HEC Montréal, which is Autitude Commerciale, uh, higher school of business, I guess. Um, and it was in French, right? So one of our teachers was like, Usually, people don't choose project management. Project management chooses you. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's very true. You're kind of like, at least in my experiences, you kind of look like you can figure things out. Can you get that done and handle <laughs> it? <laughs> and you're not sure it's because they don't see you doing anything else or because, uh, yeah, you actually look like you can figure things out and then you're kind of thrown into that role. And that's what happened to me in the event industry. And I kind of got a liking into it, which led me to start uh, asking around about this. I found out from, from other people about the concept of project management mm -hmm. we're talking about years ago and started studying it and formalizing my knowledge of of the uh, the profession then i moved into the construction industry so i was uh, managing projects for metal roofs and managing a metal roof installation company which was very was, different kind of wor you know world ma male dominated oh very world. different very different very different kind of people very that kind of the, the language that you speak as well right even though it might be that language but the way you adapt it. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely different language. Uh, the level of the language is different between uh, the people that, let's say, the client and the people that are mm -hmm. doing the job and yourself. So there's there's a big adjustment there, um, especially when uh, your team is French-Canadian from a small town somewhere and they're doing a job for an English-speaking client in a rich neighborhood in Montreal. So you have huge discrepancies to level out as, as the contact person. Mm -hmm. Then I finished my studies in project management and was hired by a private fund manager in downtown Montreal uh, in the IT department, right? But we, not a software house, uh, so integration of like teams, for instance, uh, mm -hmm. regulatory integrations, uh, things like that. Because that was my really first contact with IT. And then, uh, and then moving to to uh, to soft uh, to soft serve was a bigger challenge with more specifically IT uh, mm -hmm. vocabulary knowledge, right? Uh, software development knowledge and concepts, and 
the culture that came with it. So there, yes, there was a, a huge adjustment, but again, that's what I've been doing my whole life, right? Adjusting mm -hmm. to cultures, to languages and to different environments. Uh, so as much as it was challenging, I enjoy doing that. And this is where I'm comfortable in. Sure. So I, I think this is a trait that um, many project managers have where they're comfortable in change. Or at mm -hmm. least it helps. I get bored of stability. I would not be able to do the same same job for my whole life. So that's why project management is something that I'm like, okay, I can do this. Every project is different. Okay, mm -hmm. different people, different new things to learn. I have a passion for learning new things. I'm, I'm ever curious, which is um, a blessing and a curse at the same time because uh, sometimes I, I, I fail to focus on learning this one thing. And I'm like, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. And mm -hmm. um, you get overwhelmed. So there's this experience aspect to be disciplined about what you focus on right um which comes in at least for me uh and and also understanding that you you'll never know everything that's right and you're not there to know everything uh that's why you have you know your your senior mm -hmm. java developer because it's not your job to know that right that's, that's correct definitions i have a feeling that if i lined if we lined up 10 different project managers and we ask them to kind of explain what their what their job is like or again to offer an, an analogy, everybody would come up with something different. Mm -hmm. So I can I can kind of see in my mind's eye somebody saying, oh, my, my role is like being a head chef. Somebody saying my role is being like a good coach or a, a, a coach of a sports team. Or somebody else might say, oh, my role is like being this guy uh, in a helicopter, flying high above everybody and just hovering and seeing what everybody's doing. What's your definition uh, of, of this role, like here in this IT uh, world? Oh, wow. So I think that, depending on the project you you become any of those analogies mm -hmm. that you brought up yeah. i think that the project manager beyond the of course basic functions has to has to become what the project needs and by mm -hmm. what the project needs is what the team needs some teams need more interactions some less some team require that you create more of a team spirit and other teams require that uh don't require it so I think it's, it's again, a question of um, having the ability to assess what is needed, what you have to focus on uh, more at this point in order to, to deliver the project. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking out loud here mm -hmm. because I, that's a very good question. So you kind of, you, 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 you grow with the role and at the same time, what you just said, it's a, it's about adapting and before you adapt, you have to realize what the expectation is. So I'm guessing that, you know, this uh, skill of being able to observe that group of people that you work with and having a way of getting that feedback from them. So I guess this is what you need and this is how I, I can give it to you. Sounds like those are the. Yes. Yes. I would, I would be more precise about expectation versus requirement or need. Uh, because uh, as, as we know very often what the client expects and what mm -hmm. the client, client needs is, is two different things. And mm -hmm. sometimes you, you, this requires explanation, convincing, and this is where the whole negotiation element of being a project manager comes in. Yes, you have to, uh, you, you, you have to understand the expectations and the expectations of the people, but that, and be able to, to navigate that, identify what they actually need because people don't always know what they need. Mm -hmm. And it's not about imposing what you think they need either, right? Nobody likes to have things be told, oh, no, you have to do this because, you know, whatever. So it's about navigating that human versus technical requirement needs and, and expectations and, and, and juggling that. Of course, there are projects that are more technical, other more uh, team-oriented. Uh, for instance, the project that I'm working on right now. I have a, a team of eight people who are spread across six teams on the client side. So there's, it's, it's a lot different than having a project team uh, that you, you organize and you create a team spirit and unity. And this has been very challenging and very different from any other project that I had before. Mm -hmm. So adapting this, um, my practice to, to this specifically has, has been the bigger challenge. Right. So we've been we've been chatting, you know, about being a project manager, the world of IT, but in also your 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 own personal story, you know, the cultural backstory. I'm a big fan of anecdotes and stories. Oh, uh, and, uh, you know, I have I have a few, but I would be curious to hear your stories in terms of either working with people from different cultures or supporting teams. 
that you know work with uh, clients based somewhere else or your personal kind of stories there's one that you've shared about those um builders in montreal mm -hmm. even though it's one country it already illustrated that yeah you can have more than one culture you know within the same even the same city in you know in a way are there any cultures like uh, anecdotes maybe or stories that you can share uh, about those oh wow you're putting me on the spot there's so many it's hard to <laughs> hard, hard to pick one that was a that was a culture shock especially that i taught in a catholic school of very rich children uh we're talking generational rich like one of the students that old I, money old money we're talking about one of the students had his great grandfather great great grandfather's statue in the central plaza of the city because he reconquered that city wow. from the moors right uh <laughs> and that happened something like five like my history is not perfect but that must have happened 500 years ago <laughs> right and they still have for instance uh i i was giving that particular family private lessons at home and they had a japanese archers uh armor from the i don't remember which era but the samurai times right when there was all these wars because one of their ancestors traveled there and received it as a gift from a shogun and they just had this in in the hallway when you walk into the house the apartment and they were speaking of <laughs> right so we're gonna we're going to the castle this weekend i'm like castle yes we had the family castle over in some right mm -hmm. somewhere and i'm like why don't you live there They're like oh you know it's far from the city uh, oh, do you want to live there i need the car to take to make groceries and it's really hard to heat in winter and sure okay <laughs> i have a, a little anecdote you know i have uh, zoom calls obviously and behind me there is a um there's a, a replica of a, of a painting by kandinsky Okay. That had been, you know, um, purchased by my wife, but unknowingly we put it upside down. Uh, it's very abstract. It's a Kandinsky. How are you... <laughs> and we just like it that way until somebody reminded, is that Kandinsky behind? Yeah. Shouldn't be tilted slightly. <laughs> so there you go. Some people have a samurai, like a samurai um, armor right. in their house and, and amazing. Uh, Spain was, um, Southern Spain was very particular, again, culture. You, you think, oh, Southern Spain, you speak Spanish, you're good. No, Andalusia has its own dialect, which I believe was recognized a few years ago. I'm not sure. And, um, funny story, actually on this project, I end up speaking with one of the team leads on the client side and, uh, I look at her name and I'm like, okay, how do I approach this again with mm -hmm. the, where are you from question? And I'm like, um, that sounds, uh, I brought, I was very direct on this one. And I'm like, that sounds like your, your name sounds like Spanish or, or, or something. Am I correct? Yes, absolutely. And I, oh, uh, great. I spent some time there. Which city are you from? And she says Malaga. And I respond in her own dialect in Spanish, mm -hmm. which she opened her eyes and she was so surprised, so pleasantly surprised. And she's like, oh, my God, it is the first time I hear my native accent mm -hmm. in so long. What the hell? Where do you come from with this? And I started saying the story of how I, mm -hmm. I, I learned uh, how I lived there and I learned the language. And the city I lived in, Cordoba, was uh, there was a one neighborhood where all the foreigners lived. And I specifically avoided that place and found uh a room in an apartment with Spaniards in a Spanish neighborhood. I was the only giri mm -hmm. for the word for foreigner, which is uh, sometimes offensive, but also uh, kind of endearing. Uh, so I was the only giri uh, in the neighborhood and uh, I got to learn the real culture, the language, the, the dialect. And this is something that um, is really appreciated by people. You go anywhere and you, you bring out somebody's accent from their native place and your friends are immediately friends. Mm -hmm. Like there's a connection right the there. Distance and the dynamic of, you know, the conversation, the interaction. Very well said. You cut the distance. I like this. Uh, yeah, you cut the distance right away because the person understand knows immediately subconsciously that, you know, the codes, you understand certain things. She can say things to me that nobody else will understand. Mm -hmm. And so that was as if you kind of form this little secret community. You do, you do in, in a way, you do, right? You do. Absolutely. Right. And the, the, the whole experience of, of teaching, uh, you know, explaining things to, to teenagers, to younger people, um, because I suppose that as a project manager, this kind of teaching skill set in a way, it's, it's something, have, is that something you've been developing, you know, along? Uh, wow. Along so um, teaching was 
by far one of the most educating experiences that I had in my life and one of the hardest. Mm-hmm. I had 180 students from grade one to six. Uh, I was supposed to only be an auxiliary English teacher uh, to support the English teacher who then fell sick uh, and was was on medical leave for most of the year. And I was just given carte blanche to to come up with, okay, now you teach. And I had no idea. I don't have a teaching education. I I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, And I just had to kind of improvise and read and find out and ask for advice and and figure things out. And I made tons of mistakes, tons of mistakes. And um, learning how to control your emotions in front of 30 kids, right? So you, you know about, you had teenagers. I had one to six. So one to three, they're cute. They're adorable. Four, they start mouthing off. Five, Okay, you can you can work intelligence into it. Six, oh, terrible. Sixth grade was terrible. Uh, but I learned so much from the experience. I also learned I would never be a teacher. And I have the utmost respect for that profession since then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, transmitting knowledge and um, also understanding how emotions impact somebody's somebody's performance, somebody's learning abilities, and and how uh, this is this is really important. Yeah, I came up with very creative ways of of teaching English, where I did not teach grammar. I made them do things that were interesting to them, and on the side as as a as a side effect, they learned grammar and vocabulary, mm-hmm. unknowingly so. Right. And then suddenly, suddenly, I had parents coming to me after a few months and be like, "Oh my God, Don Dobbs." Uh, you're called a don if you're uh-huh. if you're a teacher Correct. in southern Spain, right? So priests and, and teachers are don. <laughs> and I was same. I'm 24. I'm don Dobbs, and I'm. <laughs> you the... get the same. You get to enjoy the same prefix. Yes, so you do. <laughs> and then you're at the grocery store, and somebody goes, "Oh, hola, don Dobbs," and you're like, "Who me? What?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I had parents come in and like, "Oh my God, uh, it's so awesome!" Uh, you know, my son is coming home and speaking English to us, and it's it's great. We see the improvement. Thank you, and that feeling was amazing. That feeling was amazing and the gratitude from the kids, uh, the bonds we made sometimes with some of the kids, that was that was amazing. How does that translate to this con- you know, context of work and what you do now? Um, do you use any of those? I'm not talking essentially about teaching grammar or teaching language, but do you kind of use any of those skills um, still? I'm sure I do somewhere. Um, I definitely get a... a great satisfaction from helping people grow. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of the reasons why I, I joined SoftServe, although I was suspicious at first whether the promise of supporting growth and career development was just corporate speak and, yeah, yeah, we do this, but then they don't. And then I, I, I was happily surprised when I realized that SoftServe actually does that. And part of my role as a PM at least is to support growth and encourage people to grow and to learn new things and to, to see how, well, at least what I do is I, I try to see what people are interested in and what the project needs and then kind of align those two together, which doesn't work every time, which is okay. And sometimes it does amazingly. And, um, and that's something that I really enjoy and apply where, where I try to help people, uh, and support them in their growth, in their development. Um, of their career, of their knowledge and their abilities, um, just English. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept teaching English and I, I, I do, uh, I really enjoy reading out loud. Right. I think it's a great tool for learning languages, not for, maybe not for beginners at our level here, uh, but to gain fluency, I find that reading out loud is great because you're you're using your auditory memory, visual memory, and mechanical memory of your mouth. People underestimate the importance of of how your mouth moves to to be uh, to be clear, to be understandable, to um, have clarity and enunciation is really important. When you read out loud, you hear yourself say things, and you're like, "Oh my God, how did I pronounce that? That was terrible." Or even when you sort of proofread your own work. Yes you get to hear stuff and you think sounds okay doesn't sound okay right like absolutely you, you 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 miss a lot of that if you if you just in your head it. okay is yeah. not it's not necessarily <laughs> okay absolutely so i've been doing this with with some with people who who want to i i offer it and some people ask me if we can do it and we do short readings i'm like okay pick a book that you liked so that you know you know the story 
and and then we just focus on enunciation and on on pronouncing things properly and reading out loud, which surprisingly is difficult and it's kind of draining, especially at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It is a mental drain to do that. It's tiring. Uh, so people know the story. They love the story. And then we just we just go through it. And everybody, his turn, we read out loud. And they, they hear my enunciation and my accent. And then it kind of just by osmosis happens. And your brain remembers the patterns. I mean, who thinks of grammar mm-hmm. when they speak in their native tongue? You don't. It's automatic. It just comes out, right? Because you know this is how it's supposed to sound. And one of the biggest mistakes I find... Uh, Eastern Europeans do um, when they try to speak English correctly, too correctly, and they they impose on themselves a standard of language that uh, BBC announcers have. You don't. It, the important part is to be understood, not to have the perfect grammar. Um, uh, perfect grammar enunciation comes goes to people who are actors who know their script that uh, a bunch of people worked on, <laughs> mm-hmm. have been revised uh, in, in regular speech. Uh, we make mistakes in our own languages. We make mistakes. We And it's okay. And it's how you flow and the confidence you have with the flow that uh, gives this this proficiency mm-hmm. uh, to, to your level. It's not being always perfectly correct. I mean, we made a few mistakes here, like a plural or whatever. I pick up on it. I'm not going to correct myself. I don't care. I'm Mm -hmm. just, we're taught you, you understood what I said. We're going forward. Right. And some people might have not even picked up on the mistake because we just kept flowing. Uh, But a lot of people get paralyzed, I find. uh, And they're like, oh, I made a mistake. Correct. And they're, they're taking longer pauses than they should because they're thinking about the grammar and the structure. Don't do that. Just, just flow. And reading out loud allows to, by, by osmosis, just integrate how that sentence structure works. That's my, that's my idea. Thank you. Well, I think um, to our, all of our listeners, uh, um, we're slowly wrapping up uh, Are we? Uh, the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being my guest. I've really, uh, I've really enjoyed it and the conversation. Uh, we've, we've, we've talked a little bit about this uh, aspect of being multi, multilingual, multicultural. At the same time, we talked about Canada and, and Poland uh, and your own story and, 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 and the role of a project manager, which is definitely interesting. So, so thanks again. Uh, and uh, to, to, to everybody, uh, make sure that you check out some of the other episodes in the People Tech and Other Weirdness um, series. You can find us or on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a few other things. And stay tuned definitely for more um, episodes which touch on the topic of culture. There will be uh, a few more coming soon. <laughs>